Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, the latest installment of Frivolous Gravitas. This week, we've got our special guest star in today to talk about, uh, actually, to talk in her own field, um, where um, she will be guiding us through uh, the role of a pharmacist in our society, in the community, uh, what they do behind the counter kind of stuff, and their actual responsibilities, you know, effort to I guess demystify the um these these people's work uh behind the counter and to um I guess make it less of a uh priestly thing and more of a well with that in mind I'll uh I'll, I'll hand it over to Megan uh to get us started. So where did you want to start with this? Hi, everyone. I'm Megan, as you know. Um, uh, yeah, so I was just going to start by talking about roles of pharmacists, what pharmacists do, and then I'll let the other two ask me questions and interject, and if they have anything to say, they can do that. So um, just I'll start do talk mostly from the perspective of a community pharmacist to start, and we can get into more like hospital and specializations and other things, but community pharmacist is probably the one that you have the most interactions with, like by community pharmacists, what I mean is like people that like pharmacists at Safeway or like a little independent shop, like Main Street Pharmacy or whatever. Like just, that's what that's what community pharmacist means. Um, so your job mostly there is to prepare and check prescriptions, which is more complicated than what it sounds. So when you get a new prescription in, you want to assess if it's appropriate for the patient. So you're gonna. But like before you even do that, you need to confirm because it is the another thing that we do a lot in pharmacy is deal with, we're dealing with health information, right? So there's a lot of like legal requirements and things we have to confirm. We can get more into that later if you guys want, but um, I'll keep it simple. We just need to confirm that we're talking to the right person and that we're not like giving information to the wrong person. We you, you can't like walk in and be like, does my ex have an STI? Like we can't tell you that. So. Um, there are cases of that, but um, so we'll start with doing a little assessment. So, like, does can this we, person need this drug? Yes. Can we Go get ahead. into the um, more like I know this is I don't want to like dive into the um, nuts and bolts right off the bat. Um, okay. What is I'm thinking like more uh, like what, the meta aspect of what a um, just to put my insufferable intellectual hat on <laughs> um, the like what why do we even have a pharmacist okay yeah I'll, i can take a couple and then we can back, then so. we can move into like what happens when a customer walks in okay sure sounds good so well it's easier to kind of imagine that you have someone that goes has some sort of issue say they've got an infection infections are easy they got a skin infection or something um so they We'll usually go to a doctor first. Um, difference, main difference between doctors and pharmacists is just expertise. Doctors are, have extra, like way more training in diagnosing than a pharmacist does. And diagnosing is actually fairly complicated because most things aren't clear cut. Things show up a little weirdly. If you show up to your doctor with like tiredness and weight loss, there's like so many things that that could be. And it gets very complicated very quickly. So that's where doctors are strongest and um they're very good at that and they're very good at treating conditions that where the treatment isn't necessarily drugs whereas pharmacists are definitely experts with drugs so it's not just what does this drug do but it's also why does this drug work how does it work in your body how does it interact with your body what changes does it make to your body what changes does your body make to the drug itself and things like drug interaction. So if you're taking two drugs at once, how do they affect each other? And how can what can we do to help so both those drugs can do their job? Um, they can also help organize everything. Like with adherence, if you're on 10 or 15 drugs, it can be really hard to take them in a way that like th there's usually a lot of rules. So some drugs are what take with food, some drugs are empty stomach, sometimes you can't have calcium with this one drug or whatever. So they just kind of shed a light on all that. So you're, you, that's why you want to have a doctor and pharmacist working together. And when they are working together, that's when you get better care, really, because they do have slightly different expertise, though it does overlap quite a bit. But another thing that we do in our 
do in our medical system now that's built in is this redundancy. So a doctor will write a prescription. So you walk in with your little skin infection. The doctor will send you to get a swab, send it to the lab. But he can probably, based on what it looks like, you can usually figure out what it is um, and then figure out what the best drug to treat those organisms is. There's ways to find that out. So the doctor will prescribe something, bring it to the pharmacist. So the pharmacist will look at the antibiotic and they will have more the knowledge about how the antibiotic works inside your body more and like exactly how to use it. And they can help a patient know exactly what to do. But you can also look at things like organ function and other things that you need to check when someone brings in a prescription. So it's definitely something that you are working together on. And there's a lot of, there's also another time for patient education. Um, one thing that is with at least our system here is that time with doctors is quite limited. Um, usually they only give you 20 minutes or so. And if you have more questions or there's more things you need to talk about, you can't always. They'll, they'll say book another appointment because they're paid by each section and they need to get so many appointments in per day in order to make money and stay open. Um, so a pharmacist can basically be with you as long, like they're not paid by time, so they can answer more questions. They can set up time. Maybe they're really busy, but even then they can, they're always available. Um, and another really big advantage to that is say you have like a new sore throat and it's not COVID and you're like, well, what do I do about this? Should I like go to a doctor? You don't know. You don't really want to go to emerge cause it's like Saturday and that'll be a huge pain, but you have a presentation on Monday. So you're not sure what to do about it, but you can't get into a doctor. Then you can always walk up to a pharmacist. They're always around. They're always there. And they'll usually know they'll, they'll be able to figure out something whether it's just, it might even just be, well, it sounds like a cold, so rest, drink lots of water. But it it gives you, you can talk to someone that has some knowledge and they're always available, pretty much. Like pharmacists are open on Friday night at 9 p.m. Whereas otherwise you would have to go to emergency for something that might just be minor. Um, so that's kind of a place, their, their place in society is to, there's also a big point to dispensing drugs because drugs are highly regulated. So there's a lot of legal aspects to dispensing that pharmacists will know more about um, and be able to handle all that sort of stuff. Um, so this yeah. sort of helped with like an educated guess, like a front line to sort of save the hospitals the expense of having to triage a bunch of people who don't need to be there and doctors to have a bunch of appointments that they don't need to have. Yeah, it's pharmacists. Yeah, and... Yeah, pharmacists know lots about minor ailments. Like, they're very good at, like, things that aren't, maybe need, like, Advil, or maybe you just, like, fell and twisted your ankle, but you're not sure it's twisted, or just, like, some things that, like, and they, they're, they're also, like, we're also, like, very aware that we don't have the same scope as a doctor. And we know that we need to refer sometimes, that we need to send you off to your doctor or to emergency or something. Like, and we, study a lot in like what we call like alarm symptoms or red flag symptoms. So someone walks in and they're like, I have some indigestion and it kind of hurts down my arm. And, you know, I've, I'm 55 and a little overweight and have been smoking and it just suddenly happened and it hurts more when I exercise. And you're like, that's a heart attack. So, <laughs> you know, things like that too. So, but, um, so you guys yeah. are situated <clears throat> at the end of the, uh, I guess, uh, uh, one of the potential ends of the care process. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, they die, you know, the, the person, the clerk at the front or the nurse at the front will triage the people in the waiting room and they'll put them into the back and then they'll slot them into see a doctor and the doctor will diagnose. I'm simplifying this immensely. And yeah. then, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll say, Oh, it's just this, it's just an infection. Here's some, um, here's some antibiotics or something, or here's this or that. Um, and what happens is that you, the pharmacist would act as another check on the doctor's, uh, not opinion, but educated guess as to what is going on with that person. Yeah. And we're, <clears throat> it's, there's a lot, and this has been, this has changed as well is that there's like a huge emphasis on learning how to read evidence and how to get into evidence. So unlike in other scientific fields, um, like a lot 
uh, the evidence is written, like you have like your studies, but then people will like synthesize this and then make it into like easier to read resources. So you'll have a resource that's about this drug that may make reference to like 35 different papers on this drug, but it'll like write it for you in a way that's simpler so that if a patient or you are checking a drug and you forget what's the right dose for like this indication, but their kidney function isn't great, you can just go look that up without having to read through 7,000 little tiny papers. So um, there's a lot of work being done in synthesizing stuff, but of course that comes with bias. So it's, you do have to, we learn a lot about how to read evidence and how to like find stuff that works and how to recognize bad evidence. Um, especially now they're, they're changing degrees from bachelor of science pharmacy to what's called a doctor of pharmacy. And one of the main differences is more clinic time and more time learning about evidence, how to read evidence. What's a good randomized control trial? What's a bad one? What, why don't we use this? Why do we not like, like observational research as much? So there's a lot more of that that's changing in the field. And I think that's for the better is, the more evidence-based we can be, the better. Uh, some fields have more evidence than others. And I think we can get into why in the next episode or the next part of this. Um, just some things are easier to study. And that means that they get studied more, which leads to some biases within evidence field. Like, for instance, mental health is harder to study. So our evidence on which antidepressant to use over which other one isn't as strong as in like heart failure. So we can talk about that more later. But... But I think one other crucial thing, since we're summarizing just briefly what uh, the pharmacy pharmacist's roles and duties are, um, I find one of the biggest <clears throat> helps that pharmacists offer the community is through over-the-counter medications, just because um, the labels, first of all, are written so small that most elderly people or people with bad eyesight like me can't even read them. Uh, second is, it's, it's not plain English to most people, so even reading a label doesn't really make sense to everybody. So it, it really helps to have that human person tell you specifically how your vitamins are interacting with this Tylenol or how then, your yeah. use of grapefruit is interacting with your... <laughs> oh, grapefruit, the evilest fruit. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but over-the-counter medications, just as much as controlled substances and like scheduled prescriptions, I think, is really important. Yes. You can really hurt yourself on over-the-counter medication. You absolutely can. And like just because you can buy something off the shelf without without like talking to a pharmacist doesn't mean it's safe like even something like um decongestants which are very common in like all cough and cold products they raise your blood pressure so you really shouldn't be using them if you're like have issues with your heart or you already have high blood pressure it's not a good thing for you to use that but like that's written on a teeny tiny label on the inside of it so it's not obvious and if you're on a drug like warfarin or any anticonvulsants for if you get if you have a seizure disorder some some of those those drugs interact with so many different things that a lot of over the counter drugs are things that you should not be using yeah but you guys need but you can't you can't get rid of that jargon um because it's extremely useful within and between pharmacists and doctors and in the medical yes. side of it right yeah, so you have it definitely to be, has to be there. And so I, you have I, to be a translator, right? Essentially. Pretty much. Like there, there's a lot of, because like, and one of the reasons why you use jargon is to simplify it to yourself. Like it's more complicated to other people. But like if I'm writing a note, I'm going to put HTN instead of saying high blood pressure. Cause like that's faster and easier to type. And I know that HTN means hypertension, which means high blood pressure. And when I'm calling a doctor, if I, if I only use the most simple words, the doctor might think I'm an idiot. Like it's kind of a, you kind of have to use some of the words, but if you go like too hardcore, like if you watch uh, medical TV is really bad for this, where they just like line up a bunch of big words together and it like sometimes doesn't even make sense. So um, I can't watch him talk to shows. My God, he's got, you know, he's taking paracetamol. What do we do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, not Tylenol. Actually, Tylenol can cause a lot of issues um, if you take too much. But that's another story. Um, the uh, yeah, so it's. But it is definitely important to be able to explain stuff in a way that makes sense to people. And that's another reason is because like drugs are complicated and there's a lot going on. So being able to just say like, yeah, this is a and like cough and cold products are like the worst because there's 700 different types and they're all almost the same, but not quite. So you do really need to have someone there to help out 
Um, another thing that's really helpful is for children, because children are usually dosed based on weight. And that calculation is not always, like, it's easy to screw it up. Like, and so if you are like, yeah, my baby's four, and so they fit, and like a lot of them will have ranges for like age and weight. But if you, you want to do the weight-based dosing, not the age-based dosing, but like that's not always obvious. So if your child is four, but they fall into the like heavier weight category, then you might underdose them by saying, well, they're only four, so I should use the lower dose, but that might not be enough to help them if they're like having a fever and you want to reduce their fever or something. So um, having, that's another thing that we do is, well, especially with like parents that might not have dosed drugs like this before. Um, I think that might've gotten cut off. Yeah. Okay. So I think you last I heard when I got cut off was something about kids, their weight and yeah. underdosing a fat kid. Yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about without talking about it. But yeah, okay. <laughs> it's it's funny. It's better to talk about fat kids than kids that are like severely underweight because that is sad. But being fat is just funny. <laughs> is it sad? <laughs> it is sad, but it's not as sad as like starving. Ouch. <laughs> so, so we we did a case um, in one of our classes where there was a kid with autism that like wasn't eating anything because everything was gross, and their BMI was ten. Is that even possible? I don't think so. <laughs> so yeah, they were very very small. They were like yeah. Anyway. So um, this might be a good place to actually get into. Uh, the nuts and bolts now because that was we that was a good little uh okay through as to what a pharmacist is so if i i walk into <clears throat> i go to my doctor he says you've got um you know something something itis and uh here's a prescription because we know how to deal with this i walk mm -hmm. into the pharmacist and what so i know what i'm ha i know i go up and i say i want this prescription filled and you go Yes. And then you, you know, press the button that magically materializes exactly what I need. And then you know, give it to me and sell and, you know, I pay and that's, and then I leave and that's all that happens, right? Yep. That magic process is, so what happens when you see me coming up to the counter with my little prescription slip? So we're like, so we, we see you doing that. And oftentimes you'll talk to like a tech or an assistant first, but it depends on how the pharmacy's going. Um, so pharmacy techs are like a regulated profession. So they have, they do have training in like certain things. It depends on like where you are locally. That depends that like kind of affects that. And assistants are kind of just people you hire off the street that may or may not have. There, there's like a short college degree that you can do, but may or may not have extra training. Um, but. So what a pharmacist is looking for is, first of all, who are you and who's this prescription for? Start with the easy stuff, make sure you have contact information, all the boring stuff. And then you want to say, like, should this person be using this drug? Like, do they have a condition that this drug will help them for? And that's like your indication. So if you hear pharmacists talking about indication or this is indicated, that's what it means is, is do you have the condition that this drug will help treat? And that that's all it is. So if I'm giving you a blood pressure pill, but your blood pressure is actually fine, then why? Maybe there's another reason because there are other uses for blood pressure pills. So we have to make sure that you have a reason that makes sense for you using that drug. So it's just like, should you be using it at all? Okay, that's your indication. Your next is, will the drug be effective? So is this drug going to work in this person? So that's about... And that, that one is sometimes easy to answer, but can depend on other things. Um, next one is safety. So is this drug safe to use? So this some things like kidney function will fall into this um, and other drugs that you're using. Because sometimes other drugs can increase the effects of one drug or decrease the effects of a drug. So you need to be looking at that. And so if you have a drug, if you're taking a drug, and then you take another one that increases the effects, then you might get toxicity or you might get issues where you have too much of the drug in your system. So it might like make you super tired or very nauseous or like neurological symptoms like tremors just depends on what kind of how the drug works. Um, and then, the, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to ask, what are contraindications, if those are what indications are? Yeah, so contraindications is something that you can't take the drug with. So, for instance, um, what's it called? Accutane for acne. You cannot use Accutane when you're pregnant. That's just a hard no. Can't do it. So, a contraindication for Accutane is pregnancy. Um, another reason you couldn't use Accutane is you had like um, liver disease, like severe liver disease. You couldn't use it as well because you need to have good liver function in order to clear the drug or get rid of it, essentially. Um, so, contraindications are just reasons that you can't use that drug. Um, another contraindication would be you're allergic. So, if you're allergic to penicillin and you get a prescription for amoxicillin, which is very, very similar and you will have generally have cross-sensitivity, then that would be a contraindication as well. There are also things, you can also have like absolute contraindications like isotretinone or Accutane in pregnancy. And you can also have like relative contraindications. So if you, let's say you had a stomach ulcer, stomach bleed two years ago, and now you have a blood clot somewhere, so they want to put you on blood thinners that will increase your risk of bleeding, then like, oh, maybe you shouldn't because you have a history of bleeding, but like it's a relative contraindication because you might still be able to do it anyway if there's a risk and benefit ratio sort of thing that you would want to look at. So relative, you can still use it with a relative contraindication, but it would just kind of depend on other factors. So, but absolute contraindications are like allergies or sometimes pregnancy or just things that you absolutely cannot use the drug for in if you have those conditions. Um, this is all happening before you even start filling out, you know. It, you, that, that depends on the pharmacy. So, sometimes the pharmacist will do the, all the checks first and then give it to someone to fill. And then someone has to check again to make sure it was filled properly. Um, a lot of pharmacies, you'll have techs handle the front half of the process. So, the tech will talk to you. Tech or assistant will talk to you, get your information, ask you, they might ask you a couple questions. Like if it's an antibiotic, they might say, what kind of infection? They'll ask you things like, have you used this drug before? Um, is this the same dose? Did the dose go up or whatever? Like just a couple simple questions like that. They might ask you, um, and they'll write it down on the prescription and then they will like go get the drug from the back and count it out on the little tray and, um, put it in a bottle and stick the label on it. Um, and so, yeah, they'll do that. And then they will bring it over to the pharmacist to do the check. So then the pharmacist will start looking at, is it indicated? Will it work? Is it going to cause really bad side effects? And what are they? And what can we do about it? And are they going to take this drug? How are they going to take this drug? And what can we do to make it easier for them to take that drug? That's the last part of the assessment is adherence. Um, so, um, will they take it? What can we do to help them? Like one, so sometimes you might have a drug that you have to take three or four times a day that might be difficult. So you usually have to talk to your patient about like, how do we remember to take a drug four times a day? And usually the answer is set an alarm on your phone or do it at mealtime so that it's you associated with food. But like right before bed or as you get up. Yeah. Like, like put your drugs beside your coffee machine so that knowing when you make coffee in the morning like knowing humanity as i do this seems to be <laughs> like it might actually be one of the hardest tasks it is well and the thing is of course the patients that you see a lot might be the ones that need more help and aren't taking their drugs regularly and there's a lot of reasons why they might not um some of them are just i'm really forgetful and i can never remember no matter what i do um some people will go on the internet and we'll read that, oh my god, statins can cause you to die from rhabdomyolysis, and which is, and like, do you, like, we know that as healthcare professionals that this can happen, but it's extremely rare. And in all the cases of that, the patients had other comorbidities or other things going on. So, like, we know what to look for, and we're doing lab tests to monitor for stuff. Um, so, we know what's going on, um, usually, hopefully. Um, but, Sometimes people will just stop taking something because, well, it's not working anyway, or um, they just they don't really understand why they're taking it. So one of the important things to talk to, and again, it can be difficult when you're working in a place that's doing 300 scripts or more, 500 scripts a day, um, and there's only one pharmacist on at a time. Like you, 
can't That's spend script? very much. That's just a prescription. Oh, so you're filling a, a 500 script. prescriptions in one day. Okay. Yeah. So you um, have to abbreviate the word to script when you're doing that many. <laughs> yeah, because you don't have time to say the full word prescription. <laughs> abbreviate that stat. <laughs> yeah. But also, I think one of the other things to mention with that is um, a lot of the times the symptoms themselves prevent people from taking their own medication. Like for somebody who has difficulty eating, it would be hard for them to take a pill with food because they're spending a lot of energy and mental faculty just trying to get themselves to eat. It's sort of an afterthought to take the pill yeah. with the food. And then sometimes like memory could be a symptom of a condition that you're trying to like treat. Alzheimer's or something. Yes. Yeah, that's that can be challenging. Um, but like and that's one of the things that you want to know as a pharmacist to say you do have someone that like because there are some drugs that you need to take with like 300 or more calories and it's like eat with a fattier meal and just there's like some very specific requirements not very many drugs are like this but there are a few and if your patient can't really do that then you should choose another drug because that another drug might be more effective but sometimes you don't really have a choice say they've tried the other few drugs in the class and they don't work properly or there's something else going on with them and this is our only choice you kind of have to try something and it's better to take a drug with like if you're supposed to take it with food it's better to take it with like a handful of peanuts than nothing at all if that's all that you can do so it's yes it can be difficult and complicated but you kind of have to try to think as best you can and maybe make what you're doing suit patients because that's kind of what we're talking about more and more emphasizing is less like just following guidelines blindly um, and more like, what's this patient going to do? Like, is this patient going to appreciate taking five drugs four times a day when they are working 12 hour shifts? Like, no, they're not, that's not going to happen. So find drugs that work better for their schedule. And that's something that's being emphasized a lot more now. And I think we're getting better. And that sort of comes down to, I guess, communication between the pharmacist and the, 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 the licensed practitioner who's issuing the uh, mm -hmm. prescriptions too, right? Yeah, yeah, that and and involving the patient too. So, so you, what kind of communication lines do you have between pharmacists and the doctors? It, again, kind of depends on where you are and how it works, but at minimum, you'll fax each other. And because like a lot of times we still use faxing because technically you can't you can't send health information over emails, so it has to be faxed, which is annoying. I had to get taught how to use a fax machine when I started working in a pharmacy because I'm like, yeah, it's like 2020. Like, of course, I don't know how to use a fax machine. <laughs> like, So, yeah, now I know how to. And um, so at minimum, you'll like send notes to each other. Because you might say you change a prescription because, well, sometimes the doc doctors are human too. So sometimes they make a mistake. They'll write the wrong dose or they'll write like it'll they'll write a dose that doesn't exist in tablets. So you just assume what they meant and then just change it. You can do that as a pharmacist. So then you can just fax them a note and says like, yo, you screwed this up. I fixed it. Thanks. Or if you um, can't read their handwriting or something, then you can sort getting, of do guess, double getting, check with them. Yeah. And then you can give them hell for don't read. not writing properly. Um, <laughs> it's that's, that's not as much like there's, there's, there are still doctors that write prescriptions by hand, but a lot of them are like on computers and electronic now. So harder to screw up, but then you can also get them. They just like write out, pick up straight up the wrong drug. So, or typos or something like that. Yeah. And you're like, that's not, that is not a drug. You like Google it and you're like, does this doctor know something I don't know? They just misspelled something. So it's 10 milligrams of Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> That's what everybody needs. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, yeah, you have to, part of it is to just check and make sure that there's no mistakes. And then the last part of the pharmacist check that I didn't really talk about is making sure it's filled properly. So did they choose the, because sometimes there's like formulation issues, like you have, like naproxen is a very common drug that's used for pain. It's kind of like Advil, but you only have to take it twice a day. It's also a leave, which is over the counter. Um, but there's a prescription strength. But the prescription strength comes in like a regular tablet and an enteric-coated tablet. So that one sometimes gets messed up by the people filling it, especially if they're newer. So that's something that you're looking out for is did 
the doctor write naproxen EC and did you actually use the enteric coated because it's just a little easier on the stomach. That's all it means. Um, is this redundant? So this is a uh, like a redundancy measure to make sure that they're going to get yeah. the right. Is this a necessary redundancy or is it, um, it like if the pharmacist trusts the tech or something or? You, you still have to check it. It's okay. part. It's part of the checking process, which has to has to happen, um, and the check has to be done by a pharmacist. It can be done by a tech. Again, this is regional. Techs can sometimes do it for like refills where there's no issues, but um, that again depends on your area. But generally, it's going to be a pharmacist. That's like, if, especially if it's a brand new prescription you've never used the drug before, then a pharmacist is going to look at it. But they are going to make sure that like you picked the right pill because like sometimes you grab the one beside it or you grab the wrong dose or whatever like it's you're human so you will make mistakes but you try to double check everything as best you can um the pharmacist won't recount unless it's a narcotic because there's like extra things for narcotics to make sure that things aren't being for the boring people in the audience like me yes that's a narcotic a narcotic <laughs> is a legal term um, and it just, it, it's refers to drugs that are like more highly controlled. So, um, generally when people say narcotic, they mean opioids, but it, but narcotic is a legal term. So, um, but yeah, like it's, uh, by that I'm meaning drugs that are like more highly controlled, the drugs that need to be locked up in a safe. So you're like, your opioids are one, um, ADHD medicines are in there as well. Um, there's a few on like testosterone injections are in there. Um, so the, the drugs that are more highly legally regulated um, are what we refer to as narcotics. So usually there's an extra step of checking um, to dispense these to make sure that you're not dispensing too much and you're not losing stuff or that there isn't anything sketchy going on. Because it definitely occurs that people are selling narcotics out of a pharmacy. And that's obviously not what we want so they have all these extra procedures in place which are kind of boring but important um so those will generally probably be the ones that are more dangerous or prone to addiction right yeah yeah so like the well the adhd meds are amphetamines so mm. some of them can be and like they, they can be like crushed and injected a lot of them some of them are like more tamper resistant um, and your opioids as well, which are very addictive, as we will get into more later. But um, and like testosterone injections also are abused. So it's generally stuff that's more easy to abuse. But then you have stuff like benzodiazepines, which don't have to be locked up in the safe necessarily, but you still have more procedures when you're dispensing them. But again, that's that's a regional issue as well. Um, and like in Canada, the narcotics and like that kind of stuff is defined by federal legislation um other countries do it differently so i can't really speak to other so the countries. federal legislation will put something on a scheduled controlled substance but the province will dictate how you manage and deal with it the the, the federal does have have that sort of stuff in it too for how you deal with it but then the college will because like you can the federal will have like some rules and then provincial can add more rules but can't take away from that right and then then you'll have your okay. provincial government doing stuff and then you'll have your college which is like your college of pharmacists your college of physicians and surgeons and that's you have to be a part and pay into the college to practice and they regulate things you have to take a ethical oath you have to know like Alberta procedures, if you're in Alberta, or Manitoba procedures, if you're in Manitoba or whatever. Um, and you have to write an exam to practice in that province about like the legal requirements in that province specifically. So there is um, a lot of legal stuff that you have to know too. So the government, when they're making up these rules and laws, I don't mean to say that so like <laughs> made it up. Just made it up. <laughs> but when yeah. they're putting are they consulting with the college to write these rules and regulations or are they just sort of using mm -hmm. common sense based on there are like groups there are groups that like um like non-governmental associated groups that the government consults with for these sort of things that are usually made up of pharmacists doctors um nurses other medical and professionals how do they lawyers so oh sorry I, I can't say i know exactly what it is but i do know that that there's definitely healthcare professionals involved in the, making the laws for sure. That's reassuring. Um, <laughs> Must be nice. 
<laughs> yeah, like I did have professors. I did have professors that were like um, associated with like the government and like some of those bodies too to deal with passing laws and negotiating with pharmaceutical companies for bringing um, pharmaceuticals in to Canada to be approved by Health Canada. So that's um And so is there an international kind of consortium of these people that sort of coordinate together as well? You know what? I can't answer that. I don't know. Because like if you get your pharmacy tech license or something, right? Like not full pharmacy, but just a tech. Are you able yeah. to go to another country and practice as a pharmacy tech in some other you, countries too? Usually not. Usually you have to write some sort of equivalency exam of some of some sort. And it's kind of like that with just pharmacists and with doctors. Like there's an internship program for here for people moving from out of province or out of country that you have to like fill a certain amount of internship hours where you get paid total garbage and um you just have to prove that you can work there and you might have to like write equivalency exams um which can be difficult and costly so um i have worked with clerks that are actually doctors from other countries but just weren't couldn't do the equivalency it was too much work they'd have to like basically go to school again um and so it's that's that's kind of an issue um so if you do want to, it's definitely easier to practice, to not move around too much when you're, once you get a professional degree like this, because you usually do have to go through some, um, some stuff, even moving provinces in Canada, because technically each province has their own healthcare system. So you do have to write an exam if you want to practice in a different project, in a different, um, province Italy, and do some internship hours. So like there's a lot of different definitions of drugs when we were in Italy uh, we yeah. tried to get some Benadryl and, uh, they were like, no, oh, that's a controlled substance. And we're like, really? Well, <laughs> like, I mean, the rules they, are, like how they classify something is different from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. The EU has their own rules for how they, how they schedule drugs as well. Like there's some drugs that they just like hand out. You could buy over the counter that are like illegal to use in Canada and the U S. So like there are things like that. Um, and there's definitely some differences, but each country kind of determines how highly to regulate each drug. So, like something like Viagra up here is exceedingly expensive, and then you go down to the states and it's just candy. You just buy it over the counter, which can be dangerous because it does interact with stuff, and you can get you can there 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 are issues associated with it, which is why it's a prescription drug here. Um, I can rant for a very long time about how I don't think it should be this expensive, and I think it should be covered more, but. <laughs> Uh, that's another issue. <laughs> but I think it also goes for like antibiotics, because if we as a country, not necessarily because they're harmful, but like the harm is using antibiotics when you don't absolutely need to because of antibiotic resistance. So sometimes the government will put regulations and restrictions on people's access to medications just so that they're effective when we need them to be. Whereas mm -hmm. some co continents like Africa, I think, especially you can and like Poland and Ukraine and countries like that. I'm not sure of those two specifically, but some <laughs> other countries are you're able to buy antibiotics straight over the counter just to preemptively um, sort of attack a, a stomach flu or something. You can also buy um, – there are countries where you can buy it if you're a farmer for your animals as well. Oh, yeah, that's right. But yeah. like amoxicillin is amoxicillin. If you buy it for your cows, it's not like you can't just change <laughs> the dose and take it. Like it's still – it's going to taste awful. But um, there's a reason why we uh, put drugs into capsules and tabs and it's because most drugs taste disgusting and they're gross. Um, <laughs> that is definitely a reason. Um, but yeah, like that, that does – happen and another thing like antibiotics and that's like one of the advantages of canadian healthcare is because there's so many like hoops to jump through because everyone wants to not spend as much money but then they end up spending so much money trying to not spend money by adding more bureaucracy classic um then they you you like can't jump to the big boy antibiotics just because you feel like it you kind of have to have a reason why you want to jump to the big boy antibiotics like your vancomycin and your carbapenems and stuff but um in somewhere like the united states where you can jump to the big boy antibiotics because you want to pay for it and you'll give the money to do it um they actually have more like multi-drug resistant like Staph aureus, um, like our MRSA, and they have higher rates of these like multi-drug resistance organisms um, because they're not, because you can just jump ahead, jump the gun and buy 
stuff. So that's that's um, actually kind of interesting too, since you brought up the animal thing. Um, does that mean pharmacists actually dish out medications to veterinary ho- yeah, veterinary hospitals and so? Stuff? Generally, vets do have dispensaries, but for some like more weird medications, they might not. Like I gave phenobarbital to a dog I dispensed. I was very confused because my first time working at, in a community pharmacy and it was like a prescription for Fluffy or whatever the dog. It was a very like dog name, whatever they named him. And yeah, something like that. <laughs> and um, they, and it was like phenobarbital. And I'm just like, what the heck? So the reason is because phenobarbital is a is also a narcotic locked in the safe so and i believe the dog was using it for seizures um and because it's just a drug that is like in a controlled they had to go to a human pharmacy to 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 use so yes you do get a few dog and cat prescriptions um but generally like far you won't get farmers they have other methods of getting it so yeah the it, it is always kind of funny though when you get one because you you'll like in your software it'll be like Fido and then in brackets dog so you don't phone and be <laughs> like hey uh, is this Fido because your prescription's ready um, yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's kind of funny though because they they use a lot of medications that would be abused on the streets I imagine like ketamine and stuff to put animals under uh before a surgery for instance yeah, like, there yeah are so they legit- stuff yeah they stuff to follow the procedures of the scheduling so they'll know about drug scheduling and like what procedures you have to follow to do it so they they, they still have to follow the laws even though it's not technically even though it's not for human use they're still drugs yeah and is that like a common avenue for like i know we'll get into it in the next episode about drugs and stuff but i'm just curious from the pharmacy perspective is it common that a lot of these medications are taken from pharmacies through vet hospitals as opposed to through i don't actually think so because i don't know how many I don't know if, like, I, I, I can't tell you that. It seems like know. a pet prescription would be easier to forge than a human prescription is sort of what I'm getting at. I think you usually get the drugs from the um, from the pharmacy itself. So, I mean, from oh, the okay. vet hospital itself. So, like, the vet will also give it to you. So, it's pretty hard to forge that when, you know, you're getting it from the vet itself, right? Yeah, sorry so, for the tangent. of that. <laughs> no, yeah. No, it's a, it's a reasonable thing because, like... People are getting the drugs from somewhere, right? All right. So just one last question uh, in all this that um, before we move on is uh, what – so that's kind of how a pharmacist, everything we've talked up, up about up till now was what a pharmacist does and kind of their role is their job and their role kind of in the community. But it's an evolving profession. Where Where is it? going from here yeah that is a good point because um we do have an issue right now where things are quickly are becoming more and more automated so it is completely possible to automate the dispensing of drugs there are already machines that do that they just cost like over twenty thousand dollars so they're not used super often um because that's very that's a lot of money um and so what a lot of people are seeing in pharmacy is that what we need to do is stick more on our clinical role and our role of talking to people specifically. So instead of just being drug dispensing machines of like beep boop, here's your Ramipril, um, focusing more on the actual interactions, talking to people and doing things like medication reviews where you sit down with someone, especially someone with like a couple with a few medical conditions and a lot of drugs and just maybe some complex other factors going on in their life, maybe like some difficult social situations or something to sit down with them and just talk about this is this drug, this is what you're using it for. And yeah, you should keep using it. Or this is this drug. I'm not really sure why you're still on this. So we're just going to stop it now. And just setting up a, uh, like a habit or some kind of process that they can make sure that they take it and maybe even set up like get them intimately aware of how this is going to like, well, yeah. Like one of the number one, actually take it. Yeah. And one of the number one reasons people don't take drugs or stop taking drugs is just because they don't know why they're taking it. So it's really have to emphasize to people like, why are we doing this? Why are we treating it? Like, yeah, your blood pressure is high and we want it to be lower, but those are just numbers. Why are we actually treating it? Um, And those are the types of things that we can be there to ask. And so, 
in the future, pharmacists are probably going to have big drug dispensing machines where you just throw in your prescription and then something just pops out that's the right one. But you still will have to do that consult to like have some sort of either face-to-face or like cool, fancy future video hologram thing of a pharmacist just to be able to talk to somebody about what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it and how to integrate it into your life. Well, and it'll be a liaison between the drug, the, the not that I want to say customer, the drug, the patient, patient thank you, and <laughs> the doctor as well. Because the machine, like the doctor could just send it to the machine, but the machine doesn't as far like as yet we they won't be able to you know switch to a mm-hmm. local vernacular to be like here's what's gonna happen well uh, yeah one of the things that's gonna happen in the future too probably is you're gonna get better integration of like medical records and the health inf- and like um evidence essentially so you'll have a program that can see everybody's health information, but then they can say, like, based on your last few visits and your age and your, you know, blood pressure at those visits, you actually, and like the fact that you have this condition, you actually probably should be on a resu- on a statin. So here's a, my recommendation to start a statin. And then the doctor can do that, can say that. So that's probably where things are going in terms of like integrating medical records and evidence streams and well, even databases, when I went yeah. to get my um, vaccine a while ago, not the COVID vaccine yet, maybe soon, but um, <laughs> the uh, they asked me, they, they made me bring in all the paperwork from my Manitoba vaccinations. And uh, so I brought that in and I had also gotten flu shots in Alberta. I was like, oh, those should show up on the database. And I just assumed that they had a linked database for all of Alberta healthcare. And that was not the case when, um, if, you know, everyone in healthcare could access with, you know, mm-hmm. with access, with proper access restrictions and, you know, security, blah, blah, blah. But if they could access just my medical file that would be held on the, you know, Alberta or Manitoba or Canada, like some medical database where, mm-hmm. you know, Every doctor wouldn't have to just go and like guess because you don't want to guess. You want to know yeah, what exactly. the actual history is. And like there are systems, each province kind of has their own system. But again, that's part of the problem. So if you move to a different province, then you're basically a blank slate. So that can be kind of an issue. And like it's they're getting better. They're having like sections where you can add vaccines, but it's just really, really hard to change anything because there's so many hoops to jump through because it's health information and security and you're dealing with a government body that's just filled with bureaucracy. So making changes and making improvements just takes a really long time and all the symptoms are sy- symptoms. Systems are still kind of clunky. So, so my thought and just to kind of bring this into the I guess it's still in the same vein, but mm-hmm. The problem that we have with pharmacists besides the, you know, anti-vaxxers or whatever is that um, you guys work in places where there is little, uh, I guess, prestige. So, you like, you'll work where the people need you, which means, frankly, you'll be in Walmarts and Costcos and, you know, in the yeah. in small towns. But, like, the perception is, is that a pharmacist is a uh, retail clerk. Yeah, and like it, you, it, you can get sucked into it, and a lot of corporations can sometimes, it it can sometimes be limiting to work for a corporation like that, because they'll have, and they'll do things like make you do quotas. So you have to do this many care plans. So care plans, here you can like charge the government for every care plan you do. So they are making money off of it. So they'll have like quotas of you doing things, and they'll like make you ask, promote the store. Like maybe the store is having like a, like a sale in electronics. So they want you to promote card. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that you can't do points cards on prescriptions anymore. That changed a few years ago, um, at least here, which I completely agree with. Um, And you shouldn't be incentivizing buying. They're like at a set, like a Walmart or a Costco or a shopper's drug mart. Um, For people not in Canada, that's a like, corner store i don't know if they have that anywhere else but um that there's usually a there's it's like a like it's got groceries it's a a chain pharmacy so chain pharmacy but it's got a lot of it's got a lot of other stuff and usually has a mail office in there but um the like if your boss if you're like 
uh, one of your bosses is in your like chain of command there is the front end manager who manages all the employees in front and the tills and they come up to you and say, uh, this guy's complaining that you won't sell him this and he tries to override your professional opinion. What happens yeah. in a situation like that? That can be problematic. So at that point, we're supposed to have our own autonomy, but like there's there's there have been instances of people butting heads over stuff like that where I, I did hear a story about a pharmacist like refusing to sell somebody a narcotic prescription for because the patient was showing signs of misuse and the Sometimes the front obvious. store manager and like I, I think in this situation it was like the the far, it was a late night and the pharmacist was like tiny and she was afraid of this person and got the front store manager the front store manager got involved and was like well just give it to him and that's not correct so yes there are issues with with like trying to fit in a regulated prescription a regulated professional into like a corporate plan and into this like corporate idea of something. Yeah, there's definitely issues there. And there's a lot of, I know a lot of people that I go to school with at least are very like, do not want to work for corporations. And some are just like willing to put up with it because money and a job. And there's, it's pretty stable. If you've been working for a corporation for a while, you're probably good. And you can, you'll, you'll be, you'll get your foot in the door. So you'll be working at that one place for a long time, probably. So it's. That sounds like a pretty complex issue, it though, is. because on the one hand, you've, you've got doctors prescribing medications, and then you've got a corporate pharmacy trying to make money because they're a business. And then you've got them billing the government because in, in Canada, we've got covered healthcare. But like, just a, a short correction, though, like, uh shoppers drug mart does have a rewards program they have they, they pay out points on on yes build out. oh well okay they can't do that here so maybe yeah. they so it's maybe just they a province by province thing yeah yep. which is weird to me because if you think about it most people who are on prescriptions regularly like the ones who need most of them mm -hmm. they're probably either disabled or elderly um, or not working. So the points program is actually pretty helpful to the poor communities. There, it, there wasn't a big issue with people picking up prescriptions that they were prescribed, um, just for points, especially people that had like full coverage on things. So they would just go pick up prescriptions just for points and then just like sell them, get rid of them, throw them out. Isn't that more a problem with the doctor prescribing medications that they're not using though? Like it's sort of kick punting. Of course, that's that's else's. part of the problem. But like, were these? But like, people like it just it was people taking advantage of the system. But it also like you don't want to incentivize drugs. That's the there, you don't want people like of of course as somebody uh, if you have a pharmacy business you want people to be on drugs. But you also want to limit there. There's a bit of an issue too as well because we're trying to work a lot on what we call deprescribing, which is just taking people off meds that they've been prescribed. Sometimes people get prescribed a med they're supposed to be on for two months, and then five years later, you're like, why are you still on this? Um, that does happen. Um, I'm talking about you specifically, PBIs, pantoprazole. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the- But to me, it seems like the lesser evil. I mean, you're basically kind of criminalizing the people who are trying to make $100 in points per year for the people who are costing the government $10,000 to issue those prescriptions that the, the, the patient doesn't yeah, need. Yeah, well- so to me, it's less about the rewards program and more about the the prescription system. I, I suppose, but but I'm I'm biased because I collect points on all my yeah, prescriptions. Yeah, right. Like, I'm, well, I'm like it would, so. yeah. But it makes a difference to be able to get a new pair of gloves in the winter that I yes, couldn't and that makes sense. And that's that happened to a lot of people. There's a lot of people complaining about that when it first came up, but it was. <laughs> It was about the idea of incentivizing drugs that was like yeah, really totally. the big like it's like a higher philosophical ethical idea that like I'm I'm willing to sit with cuz yeah. Yeah, I can definitely appreciate that. That's why I say it's complex it though cuz it's not so cut and dry as to say like these people are getting uh incentivized to pick up drugs they don't need, but I mean realistically the rewards programs aren't giving No, them you're not getting more a than lot. 100 bucks. No, <laughs> it's not like, a lot. It's not like they're running away with a grand per year, but the real cost is in the prescription that they're paying the pharmacist. So like the incentive yeah. is more about the pharmacist and the government than it is about Yeah, the well the government system. didn't want to be paying all that and like th there is like pharmacy like payment models and stuff changes. That's also 
that that like changes because like pharmacies are businesses too and a lot of pharmacies don't actually make very much money if any and um kind of depend on front store sales so like your over-the-counter medications and like hallmark cards or chocolate cosmetics lottery (laughs) they used to be able to sell smokes in pharmacies but not anymore Um, yeah but it didn't really make a whole lot of sense like go pick up your smokes and your heart meds like and your nicotine patch all at the same yeah and your anti-nauseants for the chemotherapy yeah no um the um (laughs) yeah so that stopped but like a lot of stores do definitely depend on that front store to make profit so um it's definitely that's why you, you do see a lot of pharmacies changing hands and getting rebranded every few years it just it's a hard business to keep open i think um this is probably and, a good place to bring yeah. this to a close but mm-hmm. um it sounds like a lot of it's up to because every person's going to have a their own circumstance and it's kind of up to the pharmacist to be that ethical uh, have that ethical quality. So, I, one mm-hmm. last question to round it all up: mm-hmm. How do you? How does a consumer? Because uh, you are going and spending your money, even if you are um, your your tax money in Canada on drugs. How do you tell what is a good pharmacy and pharmacist from others? Because, like, you, you walk down the street and there's you. You can like you type in pharmacy into Google Maps, and you can just okay, I got to go to one of these. How do you know what's something that the average person can do to tell which are legit, which are kind of mediocre, and which should to avoid? Um, so it, it kind of depends on your priorities. If you want to have the cheapest possible pharmacist without, you know, really anything else, go to Costco. No questions asked. Um, <laughs> yes, Costco is the cheapest. Um, you're welcome for advertising for you. Um, now pay us for this video. No, I'm kidding. Um, but the, um, <laughs> but you, you want to, if you actually speak to the pharmacist, that's better. If you can actually talk to them in the process, that's, that's what you want. And another thing that is another sign that you're at a good pharmacy is if they are following up with you. So say you pick up a new prescription. And they call you a week later and say like, hey, how's it going? Do you have any side effects? Um, are you, is everything all right with it? Is there anything we can do to help? Like that is something that's good. So you having a mechanic do that for me and I was impressed. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's definitely something. And like, it's hard to rationalize sometimes because you're like, people don't want you to call them and ask them a week later, but it is a good sign that your pharmacist is actually caring. Um, and like, just ask them questions and see how they answer. If they give you, because you want them to be like able to help you and not be rude even if they're busy right so you just like well professionalism trumps enthusiasm every time yeah yeah so So it's professionalism so like cleanliness is a good sign like is it organized like it doesn't have to be like sparkling at all times because there's lots of people moving around in the dispensary but like things beat looking organized and people looking happy together just like general things that you would see like normal retail stuff normal retail stuff you do for like a restaurant the thing is what they're doing is really really important Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. even though it looks like normally in a company you just look for that kind of stuff as a perk but with a pharmacy you really want them to be on the ball professional Mm -hmm. and that means not giving short answers to questions like giving Um, the long boring finger wag because that's what patients need <laughs> and that's what the- like another thing i don't want to like just only talk against corporations it's not that corporate pharmacies are all bad there are some really really fantastic people Shoppers working fantastic. and yeah i've had good experience with them so far and it just like it depends because each store will be slightly different but like it's not to say that like if you it's pretty convenient to drop off your prescriptions and go grocery shopping and then pick them up again so that there's nothing wrong with that you just want to be sure that that things are being checked over well because pharmacy has this like constant struggle of being both a business and a service at the same time so you really have to be able to balance that as a pharmacist like and they need i have to make money i have to make money but i also need to follow all my ethics because we do sign um 
ethics I clauses. still say they should make you guys take Hippocratic oaths right at it's, the it's, we, we do take ethical oaths. It's just not the Hippocratic oath. Hmm. Specifically. Yeah, it's it's close enough. Yeah. <laughs> so but I think... I wanted to ask a question before you close up because you keep uh, steering me off here. Um, Jordan, just just before yeah, just before we finish up, I just wanted to ask like we're we're talking about pharmacies and their role in the public. Um, what about online pharmacies as far as the future goes? Uh, there's obviously yeah. a role for them because I I think refills that you've been taking for ten years and you know they work like you really don't need to occupy somebody who's customer service focused. Yeah, so. there there there's good and bad like a lot of people are like very traditional and like no this is this is not good we need to like make sure people are still coming in all the time and but like there there's there's a role for it and there's a role for especially in covid there has been more pharmacies that have like tried to do more virtual meets to just like talk to someone on a platform like this to just say like hey how's it going so much talk and like phoning and extra stuff like that like there's there's a role for that and but they I, do like diabetic training and maternal training like they help <laughs> women who are pregnant who can't go to lamas and have special classes to teach them how to give birth like the, yeah. the pharmacies the pharmacists already do a whole bunch of little things they're not yeah little like big side things to the drugs themselves. Oh yeah, a lot of pharmacies you'll see will host like diabetic clinics where you can learn about like yeah. diabetes and how to test your sugars and things and like that. And they got blood pressure monitors, they actually show you how to use it. Like no, no, you have to sit down for 5 minutes first. Like they show you how to do things properly. And if you ask yeah, them about weight problems, they'll tell they'll tell you about nutrition and vitamins and yeah, not to say that we're experts on all of it, but we have at no, least enough of a baseline opinion. that yeah. we can we can we have enough of a baseline that we can like you give you also, something without and then maybe refer if we need more. You guys also have access to the database. Like part of learning is learning how to find and do quick research too. So like yeah. you know enough to go into the database, be like, Oh, I didn't know that. Read everything you need to, absorb it and be like, Okay, here's what's going on. Rather yeah. than hey, if you showed that to them, they'd be like cool yeah like there's definitely a definitely a portion to our learning that's just someone walks in with this like weird rare genetic disease or this weird this like just something rare that doesn't happen very often that you didn't learn about in school and so what do you do about it they're using this drug to treat it is that does that make sense and you go i don't know so you have to be able to find it that's definitely part of it but um yeah just to like sort of wrap up with that too like there is there is some always discussion in pharmacy about how to balance your your business side and your and your like services side but it's something that we're all aware of and that we're all working or just we're all trying to do what we can to like serve as well as we can but also make money because we want to keep our jobs right so um i think that's really important that we give our feedback to the the pharmacy like yeah, we should be absolutely. able to as the public be telling the pharmacy what they're doing well and what we'd like to see them do differently. Yeah. Because for them to just unilaterally try and figure out the balance is not really fair. Well, and at this point, like, I don't really know what a patient thinks when they walk into a pharmacy now because I don't see it that way anymore. So I depend on, like, asking people around me, like, what their experiences were like when they went into a pharmacy and what did they like and what did they not like. And I'm trying to integrate that into what I'm doing, but, like... It's that's still not always correct. I'm just asking people that I know who may not tell me the truth because they are my friends or family. (laughs) Yeah. So as a call to action for the audience, I suggest that even if you've got nothing to say whatsoever, that's a good pharmacist then because they're not dropping the ball. They're not. uh, Yeah enraging you every time and, you go and errors will ha- and you might get errors like it does happen that we that the ba- wrong bag gets sent out or like their mistakes do happen and they do occur but like if they can deal with it professionally and responsibly and give you a good re- like not reason but like a good answer and say something about what they're going to change in the process of their pharmacy to help address the issue then that's good that's okay mm-hmm. if they give you the wrong drug and they just go meh happens and then leave you that's bad don't go back there but if they do put effort into like trying to help and trying to make you feel better about this or whatever like that's reasonable so in my opinion one of the few bureaucracies that works really well so far and right now is the pharmacy like we i think we could even transpose that into a whole lot of other areas of our 
our civics. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of work with workflow and stuff because it's so easy to have meta errors. Mm-hmm. So but easy. But how you go about correcting so. them, like not trying to cover it up or sweep it under the rug, like a pharmacist will take ownership and they'll fix it. No. Yeah, and, and they'll... We, we, we talk a lot about, like, we talk about, like, root cause analysis and just, like, higher level ways of that, like, that you use to help fix your system because when you have a problem, you don't say, ah, that was Jimmy's fault. Jimmy did, Jimmy dropped the ball on that. He chose the wrong drug up off the shelf. And it's like, yeah, but like, what was happening? Oh, you mean Jimmy was working, um, was on his 13th hour of work because, you know, someone didn't show up? Well, maybe that's really the problem. Yeah, or is this the third time and you haven't mentioned it to Jimmy yet? (laughs) Yeah, and he hasn't noticed or he's like, there's something wrong with the process. Like the pharmacist isn't checking it or something. Like, I don't know. So there's, yeah, we we do our best, but thank you. (laughs) Yeah, but credit where it's due. Because uh, I, I think without it, the, the public would be just taking drugs from basically drug dealers on the street corners <laughs> if we didn't have the whole ethics component to it. Yeah, like, and the other thing too is like, for also call to action, ask your pharmacist questions. They know a lot of things. And if you just have like an ache and pain and you're not sure if you need to go see a doctor, just talk to a pharmacist first. Because they might be able to say like, yeah, you should definitely see a doctor or Maybe it'll be like, yeah, I take some Tylenol, give it a couple days, maybe it'll go away. Like, they, they'll know that. So, give them a call. They're very easy to access, but there's they still have years of training. So, yeah. All right. I think that's a, that's a, that's a good place to uh, put it down for a moment. And um, Yeah, thanks for, uh, for coming on the show. We really appreciate the insight. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, been watching Frivolous Gravitas, Jordan Roy, Megan, and myself, Chris Driver. Check back soon. We'll have a uh, another episode. Follow up episode. uh, Yeah, the following episode on the uh, actual uh, making of drugs and what's going on in there. Pharmacists are one thing, but what are they actually dispensing? So, if you're interested in that, come see us on our next episode. See you guys. Talk to you soon. Bye.